Welcome back to Drunkenly Paranormal, your dose of debauchery in a dastardly drunken podcast. I'm your host, Salem, and I'm joined as always by my fellow looter of many castles, Harlem. How you doing today, man? Doing great, man. Feeling protected. In this armor we're wearing? Yes, sir. Clink, clink, clink. Sword, sword. Yeah, it's not beer cans. <laughs> it's not beer cans at all. For those of you who are not in the crappy studio with us, you can't see that Harlem and I are both doing our best cosplay of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah, I'm about to beat Salem's ass with this Nerf axe. Yeah, well, I've got two Nerf daggers. <clears throat> Gonna stop your axe with a two-sword or two-knife defense. And then I'm gonna slash your knees out. You that sounds like some Fortnite dance move going on you just described. De definitely not. Actually, what I was referencing was a book called The Ranger's Apprentice. Oh, okay. You never read it. It's okay. Yeah, I hear it's for uh, just men who prefer men. Definitely not. It's a children's book. <laughs> you freaking perf. Oh, my bad. Anyways, in addition to my Nerf swords, I've got a bow and arrow to compliment my full assortment of boiled leather Arlem, or har armor, and Harlem is dressed from head to toe in cardboard armor. It's a... Uh, I didn't realize Keith Stone made a knight. Yeah, well, uh, we keep it pretty frosty on these mountaintops. I hear that. I like I like the war axe that you're using, but uh, I gotta say, man, it looks crazy heavy. Yeah, I'm about to fuck you up with it. All right. Well, you guys at home might be wondering why are we dressed in armor? It's a podcast. You we you can't see us. You don't know why we're doing it. Well, it's because in this week's episode, we'll be storming a castle to find out if arrows, battle axes, and mead can slay the ghouls that haunt these hollow halls. Yep, I'm gonna protect. I'm gonna kick some ghoul ass and and save the Shrek princess lady. Dude, that's such. I love Shrek. I I literally rewatch that movie once every few months. Yeah, it's a good movie. So <clears throat> you want me to use my weapon? But before we'll tell you what castle we'll be storming, if you're joining us for the first time and are perhaps wondering what podcast you've stumbled across, maybe you're wondering who we are or what this podcast is all about, I'll tell you, we're the paranormal investigators that believe an open, expanded, and possibly, just possibly, inebriated mind is necessary to unlock life's mysteries. With that spirit in mind, we like to investigate with a cold drink in our hand to strengthen our courage and raise, well... Certainly our spirits, but maybe others as well. At the end of the podcast, we'll vote to decide if there's something paranormal going on or if it's something you need to be drunk to believe in. Harlem, since we're dressed for battle, when I say castle, what comes to mind? Other than Assassin's Creed. Shrek. Other than Shrek. Dragons. Dragons. When you say castle? When I say castle, yeah. Uh, I think of, like, Kirby. Kirby, really? Yeah. Are you thinking of Kirby like the they game? They have tons of castles in Kirby. Have you actually played Kirby? Because I, I haven't. I think so, yeah. yeah. Outside of Super I'm Smash? Sure I have played it, but yes, they do have castles is what I was referencing with the I think so part. Okay. Well, I, outside of Super Smash Brothers, I've never actually played uh, Kirby Oh, it's myself. fun. It's fun, dude. It's kind of like Pokemon with different powers, but like... Different powers do different shit. There's like an archery power that can fly. I know, but it all depends on like if he eats you, right? Yeah, you have to eat certain items to get certain powers. Interesting. Yeah, and there's different powers. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's fun. Well, what I was trying to steer you towards was not Kirby or Pokemon or even the Assassin's Great uh, games, Assassin's Creed games that we love so much. Instead, really, what I was trying to get you to like think about was the castles of Europe, where, like in Assassin's Creed, the defenders of the castle would fight off. Oh, I did not think about that. But... Anyone who attempted to transform, if we're, we're going to run with the uh, the Valhalla analogy here. They were set or Anglo Anglo's because the Saxons invaded, so Anglo's uh, who attempted to defend their land against the Saxon invaders uh, and prevent it from being a hospitable home for the Raven clan. What if I told you though that outside of Europe, maybe even here in the United States, there are castles? I believe it. There's I know there's castles. Probably for sure in Europe, because that was old school Europe style too. Was right, to have castles. right, it was, it was. But like from the early American Revolution, we were more fans of like forts and factories. And factories, yeah, factories were a big thing in the American past. But do you want to take a guess where in America this castle we're going to investigate actually is? Uh, shit. Uh, no, because I'll probably get it wrong. Well, it's a guess, man. Guessing and getting it wrong is okay. It's not a test. Like the one I passed today. What's up? I don't want to answer. Okay, well, <clears throat> why, don't, why don't you take a look at the first picture I had for you pulled up and just guessing from looking at the structure. Hogwarts. Hogwarts? You think it's Hogwarts? Yeah. No, I'm kidding, but it's dark. And it's just, I like, that's the vibe I'm picking up off of it. So we're, we're looking at a, it definitely looks like a castle. Uh, except for the fact this thing doesn't look like it's outfitted for defense. There's far too many windows. The center of the building is the tallest part. It goes up what looks like three stories. We got a wide entranceway. We got uh, two windows on the second floor. And we got, I feel like there's a technical term for castles. They're very narrow windows, probably for archers to shoot out of. And then the building is wider than it is tall. So it looks like it extends three win uh, three rooms out to either side and then goes up a second story so the the centerpiece is the tallest we'll put it up on instagram if we're not doing justice to the description but it looks it looks legitimately like a castle this this castle is called pythian castle and it's located in springfield missouri and you didn't want to guess where the, the castle state? is what missouri missouri the state the state missouri Okay. So you Dude, did, also, I mean, if you think like this, kind of looks almost like almost an Alamo vibe in a way too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely gives off the vibe of like where you'd hole up and make your last stand type of place. Yeah. Um, but in in the list of places you would have thought of here in the United States to find a castle with well, this, you told me Europe. Well, I told you they're popular in Europe, but this one was in the United States. Well, you told when you told me to guess where in Europe. No, I told you to guess where in the United States. Oh, I thought you told me to guess in Europe. No, man, but in, if you were to think of states in America where castles would have existed, would you think Missouri would have been one of them? Fuck, no. Yeah, I didn't think so either. Thought it would be more something closer to a port. Yeah, a port would make sense. I'm thinking like Boston, New York, maybe Atlanta. I mean, if it's south, Missouri is not even like... Missouri's a landlocked. southern state, yeah. No, yeah. Oh, well, I think it borders the Mississippi, but it doesn't have a large body of water. Yeah, that's what I meant, you know. But I guess if it has the Mississippi, I mean, that's definitely a... All in all, it's an extremely random location for a castle, if you ask me. I 
guess if it's along the Mississippi, it ain't that random. Yeah, uh, I I agree, because I guess during during the Civil War, like uh, Vicksburg, uh, the American Civil War, to be to be more precise for maybe our non-American listeners, but Vicksburg was a key port that had to be taken during the Civil War to cut off the South from uh, access to shipments up the Mississippi, but. It almost doesn't look like a place that would defend a key location uh, or would even serve as a base for armies. So you're, when looking at it, you're kind of like, why is it here? Like, if it's, if it's not here for military protection, then why does it exist? Well, because seven cities, including Springfield, were competing to be the next home for the Pythian Knights. You know anything about the Pythian Knights? No. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. They're a very vague organization. Never heard of these guys. Uh, in 1909, the city of Springfield sold the 53-acre plot the castle would be constructed on for a mere $1. All right, well, back then, a dollar was also a lot. Still, it's 100 cents. And 53 acres for a buck? I think the Louisiana Purchase was... I don't want to sound wrong here, but I think it was like a buck and three cents per acre. And that literally at the time that it was purchased, I think in 1803, maybe 1804, doubled the size of the United States. It did double the size, but it was like 15.3 million or something like Right, that. but if you break that down in aggregate to like, or not in aggregate to the per acre, I think it was like a buck. It may have been three cents an acre, but either way. Yeah, that's what we bought it at actually, is three cents an acre, I'm pretty sure. So even, even if the, the Knights had bought this particular piece of land at three cents an acre, 54 acres, you're looking at like a dollar twelve, dollar no, a dollar fifty two. So still super cheap. Uh, anyways, the Knights of the Pythian Order got the right to work and by uh, after they bought it, they got right to work. And by 1913, the Knights of Pythias newest lodge slash home was finished. Unlike castles of the medieval area or era, this structure was not built to defend anyone, but to serve as a home for the widowed wives of the members of the order. Uh, what do you think about that? Widowed wives of the members. So, so it's basically, basically a woman's facility. Yeah, where they bring their children. If they, their husband had been a knight of Pythias, and maybe he died of a disease now that we have a cure for, um, and they needed they needed a place like they. At, at this time, women predominantly aren't earning money. They're not working. And so I feel like this is a very philanthropic initiative for the order to take care of the wives of members of their order who died. The Knights of Pythias, at the time of their founding, was an all-white, all-male, fraternal organization and secret society originally founded in Washington, D.C. on February 19th, 1864. Sounds like some men of, men of letters shit right here. Yeah, a little bit. Especially because the early men of the letters were... Well, all male. All male, yeah. Maimed individuals of the Knights of Pythias were not allowed admission until 1875. So you could have fought in the Civil War, gotten your leg blown off by a cannon, or you know taken a, a round from a gun, which usually meant that your limb had to be amputated. And if you were handicapped as a result, you couldn't join. So you had to be not only... A man, not only white, but perfectly like in shape. In shape, you had all your your limbs, type of thing. So it's not very diverse, to say the the very least about the order. 
the order would grow to have over 2,000 lodges in the U.S. and around the world, with a total membership of about 50,000 men, uh, according to the last census that was taken of its membership in 2003. It so, still exists? I think so. I don't know. 2003 was what? Seven, 19 years ago? Yeah. So maybe damn. they disbanded? I don't know. 50,000? I doubt it. They gotta be around. I think they're still current because they have a membership today that is open to males of at least 18 years of age and good health who believe in a supreme being. So you don't have to be a member of a specific religion or even uh, as what's popular in the United States, you know, like believe in the Christian version of God. You just have to believe in a God. Is this the religion? No, this is like the requirement to be in the nights. You have to believe in a God, you have to be a male, and you have to be 18 years old. Or 18 years of age, at the very least. Alright. So Harlan, when a person joins an organization like this, you got to imagine they need an oath of some kind, right? Yeah, let's join. Like, let's do it. Let's sign up. Hold on. Before, before you say that, if you... Let, let's... We're going to get to the oath in a second, and I don't, some of the things you have to swear off, I don't think you'd really be into. But if you were going to found a secret organization like this, what would you require your members to swear an oath to? Uh, to come on a call if I need you, basically. You're, you're trying to make them like your slaves? Well, like if you have something going on, like a big event, there has to be a reason they're forming, right? It's well, typical of like fraternal organizations, it's like mutual support. Everybody's looking out for everybody. Yeah. But, well, to give to donate. But what would your oath be if you were if you were gonna make one other than come when I call? What would you want all of your members to say they believe in or like vow to do? Oh, be honest, trustworthy. Loyal, helpful, what are you, fucking Boy Scout? <laughs> You're literally uh, taking the Boy nah, Scout away. I don't know, dude, just to be like genuine people, I guess, you know? Okay. I mean, I feel like that's fair of an organization like that. You want them to be not bags of shit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's an interesting oath that you definitely did not steal from the Boy Scouts. <laughs> So let's let's compare your oath of rather to the Pythian order. And not the Boy Scouts. And not the Boy Scouts. So this this is their oath, ready? Alright, let's hear it. I declare upon honor that I believe in a supreme being, that I am not a professional gambler, or unlawfully engaged in the wholesale or retail sale of intoxicating liquors or narcotics. Alright, I can agree to that. And that I believe in the maintenance of the order and upholding of constituted authority in the government in which I live. Moreover, I declare upon the honor, or I declare upon honor that I am not a communist or a fascist, that I do not advocate nor am I a member of any organization that advocates the overthrow of the government of the country in which I am a citizen by force or violence or other unlawful means, and that I do not seek by force or violence to deny to other persons the rights under the laws of such country. So, like, I can still buy alcohol, right? <laughs> I, I feel like if you're participating in its distribution, you're the tail end of the distribution. You are the person who's buying it and taking it home. So, no, I don't think... Oh, well, then I don't want to agree to the first part. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not selling it, so that's okay, but I'm buying it. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really what they were getting at. And like 1909 is right before or right the prohibition is right before prohibition. So I feel like this is what they were getting at. And the interesting history of prohibition is that the people who supported it were largely Protestant. They were largely members who are rather largely people who were already citizens of the United States. And the people who predominantly were vocal non-supporters of prohibition were predominantly Irish Catholics who recently immigrated to the United well, States. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why they're against it. Oh, well, you know, I feel like the Irish make a lot of good beer. They make a lot of good whiskey. Shout out to Tullamore Dew. Thank God for the Irish. Yeah, thank God for the Irish. And, you know, thank God that we're one of the descendants of the Irish diaspora that now lives in the United States. Uh, but, but yeah, they, I don't feel like they'd be a fan of this podcast predominantly because we, we tend to have a couple beers before we record, have a beer while we record. Shit. Um, have a beer when I wake up. I mean, no, I don't. No, I definitely don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so notable members of the order included former U.S. President Warren G. Harding, William McKinley, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Other members of note include Vice Presidents uh, Hubert Horatio Humphrey. That's a hell of a name. Nelson A. Rockefeller, U U.S. Supreme Court Justice Benjamin Cardoza, U.S. Congressman and Senators John Buchanan Robinson and Park Trammell. Finally, some of those sounded pretty sexual. I ain't gonna lie. Really? <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's some of the first few. I feel like. Hubert Horatio Humphrey was like... Humphrey? Okay, yeah, I get it. Humphrey? Yeah. Yeah. If that's how you're going to pronounce it, yeah, it does sound kind of sexual. What's the other ones? Uh, Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller! Make a sex joke out of that. Make it happen. I'm going to Rockefeller. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I'll give you the sex joke part of that. What about Benjamin Cardozo? That one, not so much. <laughs> what about John Buchanan? I got, a, I got a big John that's almost oh, I as forgot. big his, as a cannon. His second last name is Robinson. My John's as big as a cannon. <laughs> John Buchanan Robinson. Does the, does the second last name change the joke at all? Still the same thing. All right. And what about Park Trammell? I don't feel like there's anything you can make of that. I also feel like that's the most like bland name ever. What are we going to no, name our kids? Not so much, but the first few for sure. Alright, and the last famous member of note was noted trumpeter and vocalist Louis Armstrong. No sexual name there. Yeah, have you actually, well... Well, I mean, maybe you could go make an argument about Armstrong there, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, like I mentioned before, this order would go on to establish 2,000 lodges, um, some of which would also be called Pythian Castle. Uh... Like I mentioned again before, this particular Pythian castle was constructed for widows and members of the order, as well as the elderly order members. Considering the frail state of the widows and, el and the elderly who lived there, uh, rather how they were viewed as being frail, the architect's chief concern was to make the building fireproof. So he didn't want there to be a fire that no one could escape. So it was constructed out of Carthage stone, a limestone that was common in the Springfield area. The two-foot walls that would comprise the property's external features 
would serve as excellent fire breaks. The interior was comprised of steel framework, which uh, was filled with poured concrete floors, ceilings, and stairways. The interior walls were layered with hollow core pyro blocks, a gypsum-based fireproofing material developed in the 1900s. Basically, this building was fireproof, but not just that, it might also be ghost escape proof. This wood building are we talking about? The same castle? The same castle, yes. Wow. So, unbeknownst maybe to the builders of the castle, was that Carthage stone is believed to have paranormal properties. The stone is rumored to be somewhat of a magnet for spirits. In addition to attracting spirits, it is also an excellent choice for binding or trapping spirits within its confines. While there is nothing scientific to support that belief, it certainly adds to the castle's mystique when you consider the fact that over 100 people would go on to die inside the castle itself. So it's definitely got to be haunted. In theory. So the layout of the castle would be as follows. When you walk in the front door, there's a grand foyer, or foyer, uh, a meeting room, a ballroom, a dining hall, a sitting parlor made up the first floor. So those are all the buildings on the first floor. The second floor, which can be accessed by dual staircases on either wall, was designed with dormitory-style rooms for children and bedrooms for adults. The second floor also features a theater and all the crap necessary to run it. So I have a picture of the foyer if you want to go scroll down and take a look of it. It's dark. It's definitely a, uh, I think this is a night vision camera. Purplish. Yeah, I think that's where the color distortion is coming in. But walking in the room. It looks you, nice, dude. Yeah, you can see a chandelier. You can see an elegant table with a nice flower arrangement. And I pulled this from a BuzzFeed uh, Unsolved Supernatural video. So you can see the backs of uh, Ryan Boudet and Shane Begara. So. What do, you, what do you think? Like, Does this scream elegance to you? Because it does for me. This looks posh as a mofo. This looks very nice. Yeah. It almost looks like there's a weird dark hooded figure in front of the dude on the left. Oh, yeah. I definitely see that. But I don't know if that's shadow cast from the IR light. Or the, if the, it is, it's a weird shaped shadow because he ain't wearing a hood like that, dude. Yeah, it definitely is a weird shaped shadow. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because when I took this screen grab, I didn't notice that. So, just real quick, that looks to you like a dark figure in a hood. Yes, no? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, back to the history of the place. Dude, side note. This is the type of shit we need to be doing right here. Going investigating this place? Yes. Yeah, I would... Any place around Texas, we need to, like, go and investigate. We need to get gear, a camera, or something. So we, we have some gear. We have two cameras right now, and we have a spirit box. We have a mail meter, and we have an EVP recorder. And this is an excellent plug for maybe getting our first Patreon supporter to, you know, maybe contribute, I don't know, like a buck a month? I don't know, like... Five or at least just donate the money for us to go and investigate a place. Yeah, that's that's literally the yeah. goal of our Patreon supporters is to help us fund the plane tickets or the gas to get us out to investigate these places. Um, and when we get a Patreon supporter, we have three bonus episodes lined up and ready to go on Robert Johnson. We've got the Hat Man and we've got uh, the Moreno Valley Poltergeist. That are queued up and ready for, you know, if we get a Patreon, the first one, there's going to be a very low tier for like 
you get access to these episodes if you're craving it, especially on those you know breaks we tend to take between seasons. Donate a little bit of money, get access to extra content. That's all I'm saying. If you've got the self-discipline to space it out one a week every Thursday, then it's basically like we're only taking a one-week break and boom, we're back. You, you get the content you want. But i got to get back to the case because we're off on a tangent now. So from 1913 to 1942, this particular Pythian castle served as a home for widows, their children, and in some cases the orphans of their members, and the elderly members of the order. Life was very regimented at the castle. Men and women were not permitted to speak to one another, even the children, even if they were siblings. So in our case, we have a sister. So if the three of us were sent to the castle, I'd be allowed to talk to you, you'd be allowed to talk to me, neither one of us would be allowed to talk to our sister. Which is weird, in my opinion. Sounds normal to me. Why? Why does that sound normal to you? I don't talk to our sister that often. You talk to her often? Uh, at least once a week. But to be fair, she lives in a different state, and she just had a kid. Congrats to her. Uh, we're both uncles now. How do you feel about be being Uncle Harlem? Uh, I feel like I'm a god. <laughs> I feel like you feel just that, kidding. I feel like you say you feel that way most of the time, so I'm just gonna ignore that. <laughs> Uh, the orphans lived lives that were straight out of the damn Annie musical. They had to do chores. Annie. Wow, that's crazy for orphans. <laughs> what? Have you not seen the Annie musical? No. It's a hard knock life for us. Sucks. No, not ringing any bells? No. Not at all. Okay. Just kidding, yeah, it does, but I just, you know. You want to make an anal joke? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they had to do chores all day. They slept in bunkhouses, and at night they would sing, likely because they were forced to, on the castle's front step, or steps for passing members of the town. In 1942, the castle was pressed into service by the U.S. Army and made to serve as a hospital unit and social club for wounded veterans. The castle's basement area, however, was converted into a dungeon to hold German, Italian, and Japanese prisoners of war. Oh, nice. Right above a bunch of kids. Yeah, that seems like the safest place for children is where the enemy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You're supposed to keep war away from yeah, children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they have the kids torturing the enemies. <laughs> Go down there and beat his ass, Jimmy. Dude, this is... Or your ass is gonna get it. <laughs> Dude, Vladimir Putin isn't calling the shots here, okay? He's... They're, they're not, like, deliberately char you know targeting children like the Russians do. But... The castle's basement area, like I said, was converted to a dungeon, and the house would remain military property until 1993 when it was sold to a local farmer and his family. Um, they didn't live there super long and eventually sold it to its current owner, Tamara, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher it because it's a very poetic name, but uh, Finacario, Finacario, and her mother, M.P. Page. So I've got a couple more photos here for you of the castle in the daytime, a little bit more illuminating, but I think our earlier description about its overall structure... Still it, looks creepy. It, yeah, I mean, I feel like a castle anywhere looks creepy. That lawn looks damn good, the freaking vibrant green. Yeah, whoever the, uh, the, the director or the supervisor of landscape management at this property, give him a raise. He's crushing it. Things look good. 
So it's a massive place. You can tell that by looking at it. But what about this exactly screams paranormal? Well, let's reflect on the place's use over the years. First, it serves as an orphanage and a home for the elderly members of the order who are cared for until their death. Um, so right out the gate, we got people dying here. Old people, unfortunately, tend to die. They're at the end of their life. Yeah, plus we got the prisoners of war people. We're getting to that. Then it's a hospital during the Second World War. And like most hospitals, um, some patients who come in never leave. And that's very much the same of Pythian Castle. Or at least never leave alive. So we have a larger number now because wounded people, unfortunately, health complications. They may pass away. And then finally, we have the prisoners of war you alluded to earlier. I'm not sure if any of them died. It, you know, but probably, probably, uh, and we we add to that the fact that people are dying here. We add the uh, the rumored element of the stones, paranormal abilities, the Carthage stone, to trapping spirits. And what you have here is a recipe for a place being haunted. And it's on that note. That's all the background. We're gonna get right into the events. Let's go. I'm ready. So I, I thought a cool way to do this would be to compare two investigations that were carried out on the castle. And we could compare and contrast their investigative method, methods. We could maybe decide who was better. Maybe label one full of shit, which is what I think is likely an outcome for one of them. So we have, and I mentioned them earlier, BuzzFeed's uh, Ryan and Shane. And the second group is... Zach Baggins, and the Ghost Adventure crew. Oh, goody. So in preparation for that cross-analysis, we have watched both of their investigations. Or at least I have. So for the first bit of evidence, I want to bring forward for your consideration, I am pulling from a BuzzFeed investigation of Pythian Castle. The following audio clips and their testimonies are all from the BuzzFeed episodes. They're not our original content, we're not claiming copyright, yada, yada, yada. And I would encourage our listeners to watch it, as I think it's a pretty cool treatment of the castle and a far better investigation of it than was performed by other people. And I'll just leave it there. According to the BuzzFeed Unsolved crew, which again is Shane and Ryan, paranormal encounters in the castle began as early as 1942, so right when the castle transitioned from being a home for former members their widows, and their children to a prisoner for prisoners of war and a hospital for the American wounded. Odd accounts of the paranormal began cropping up. According to a research performed by BuzzFeed's Unsolved Crew, an unnamed man visiting the castle was standing in the children's former bronc room when he heard whispering. To quote him, I knew something was not right. I knew I was not alone. I felt two people there with me and thought I heard a woman and a man talking together, but there was nothing there. According to a former tour guide that worked in the castle... They be fucking... You think that's what it was? Ghost fucking? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but again, according to a former tour guide that worked in the castle, while standing in the same room that the BuzzFeed individual quoted, she heard a child's voice say, Hello. Now the tour guide, assuming at first it was a member of a different tour who maybe got lost... She turned around saying hello in turn, only to find she was standing in the room alone. 
Now, since I referenced the BuzzFeed investigation and since we're talking about actually needing evidence, electronic voice phenomena, pictures, videos, ghosts, an affidavit, affidavit maybe, uh, that, that's usually the crux of a lot of episodes where we're like, where's the evidence? Where's the photographs? Where's the EVP? I have an EVP BuzzFeed captured for your audio pleasure. Let's hear it. It's short as hell, so we can play it on air. It's only about 12 seconds. Play it for me. All right. I'm going to pull it up for us right here, right now, all 12 glorious seconds of it. This moment, our audio recorder catches this distant, disembodied voice. Sorry. What was that? Yes, that's right. What was that? So, there's not any, like, caption to it that's a voice. It just says, woman yells. Harlem. I didn't really hear a woman yell right there. I heard more of, like, a growl. What's interesting, though, is that both Shane and Ryan, in real time, react to it. Like, Ryan turns around to Shane and goes, what was that? And Shane goes, yeah. So I think both of them assume the other one made the noise. But really, let's get to the heart of the matter here. Does it sound like, A, a voice, B, someone saying something, um, and did it even sound like a legitimate EVP to you? As no, the, it didn't really sound like anything to me. I mean, maybe some weird noise going on in the background didn't really sound like a voice, like anyone saying anything. Maybe you could argue, yeah, there was like a weird growling voice, but I didn't really, I couldn't even make out any words. I, I couldn't either, and like, there could have been, like, it could have been a metal door closing somewhere in the castle. Uh, even though Shane and Ryan are the only two people on camera, they definitely have a camera crew with them while they film a lot of this stuff. So it could have been one of them accidentally making a noise in the background. To me, it's not super credible. And later in the episode, I'm going to outline what I think a credible EVP needs to include because I think developing criteria for that is important instead of just saying, no, I don't think it's credible. Like I want to develop, and I have, a system that like it needs to be these three things for it to be a good EVP. But after they capture this... What are your three things? Well, we're going to get to that. It's, right. it's later in the script. I don't, I don't want to break the flow here. So after they capture that, the boys then decide they need to conduct a spirit box session in the room where they heard the female voice. And remember, it was loud enough for them both to hear it. Okay. Now, this clip is not brief. It's kind of long, so we can't play it on air. So I'm just going to give you guys a synopsis of it. The spirit box session opens with Ryan asking, is there anyone here with us? Pretty much immediately he gets a response. And it's, I'm here. Full disclosure, for those of you who watch it later, Ryan thinks the response at first is, hi kids, but in post, he amends his opinion to, I'm here, after listening to it again. Ryan then asks, what's your name? And gets, Susanna, in reply. Ryan then says, hi Susanna, say my name back to me if you want to play. He gets the response, hugs. The boys are rightly baffled by this response, and Ryan tries to tell the spirit of Susanna that they're not there to hurt her. These efforts have a mixed result. They get a response, but not one the guys can agree on. Shane thinks it says, I love you, while Ryan thinks it called him a dipshit. Shane uh, takes over asking question and asks again, what's your name? This time he gets Jimmy in reply. Jimmy, Shane repeats, 
only to get an answer that cannot be understood in reply. Ryan then goes, we're going to leave now, only to get an immediate response, don't leave. So Harlem, that was about uh, 84 seconds of a clip. Obviously, not something we can play on air. We're going to pause what the recording right now. We're going to cut out us listening to it, and we're, we're going to watch it, and then I want to hear your opinion on it, all right? All right. Okay. So, Harlem, now that we've watched that clip, uh, do you disagree with any of the conclusions on the audio that these guys claim to have captured? I don't know, man. <clears throat> because they said, like, say my name if you wanted to play, right? It didn't repeat back its name. If anything, it changed its name. It didn't even say his name, Ryan. Okay. So hey. it kind of makes me think, like, how good of the material are they using? Because it even sounded real choppy. Okay. Yeah. So, so two things to know. I want you to remember that point earlier when we talk about good versus bad EVPs. Okay. Um, so file that away. The second thing I want to talk about is the actual spirit box as an investigative tool. Um, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the spirit box, which is what Ryan and Shane are using this scene, it uses radio waves, and so it, it, it tunes into two frequencies. One of them is cycling forward between frequencies, and one is cycling backwards. So you should not get, according to the theory, a single word from either one because one's going forward one's going back and the the paranormal experts rather allege that using the spirit box if you get a complete word out of it it's allegedly something a spirit manipulated to make happen so it's very similar to like putting energy out in the air uh and then the ghosts can use that energy to manipulate and find like a voice for themselves do you think spear boxes are a useful tool for uh, paranormal investigation? Keeping in mind that we have one in our tool set, um, but I feel like I don't know. I just that one just it seemed choppy. It seemed like music was picking up. Even well, yeah, that's that's what happens when you're jumping radio frequencies. But to your first point about the hey, say my name back to me, and they get Susanna. So. Do you feel like in that moment they're giving value to that answer that maybe shouldn't exist? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, because like, what if there really was a ghost there that was named Susanna, and then he introduced himself as Ryan, mm -hmm. and he was like, repeat my name back to me if you want to play this game or have a conversation, and like, it just kept doing different stuff, so like... It just seemed like it didn't really want to participate with him. It just more wanted to at least... Express itself, maybe? Or fuck with him. Okay. So, earlier I mentioned my system for how to determine a good EVP versus a bad EVP. And I told you we get to it. And we're at that moment, okay? I think that for a, an EVP to be labeled a good one, it needs to have three... Uh, boxes checked, if you will. So the first one is that the response is clear. It's not something you have to listen to multiple times and then, like, figure out what they said. Um, and I, I want to, like, delineate here a little bit. Like, sometimes you have to re-listen to things to go, okay, I didn't hear that at first. Let me listen again. Okay, maybe now I got it. Um, 
and what I mean by multiple times is like hundreds of times and then like maybe you find something that remotely sounds similar and then you, you give it a value. So really what I'm, what I'm getting at with this discussion is it needs to be clear. It needs to be, oh, I heard that. And then without telling someone else what you heard, you hand them the voice recorder, whatever you recorded on and go, listen to this, tell me what you see or rather what you heard. And they go, hey, I heard this. And it, those two things match up, okay? So it needs to be clear. The second one needs to be timely. You can't ask a question and go like, who's here with us? What's your name? And then like five minutes later, you ask a question, what color shirt am I wearing? And you get Jimmy in response. You, you can't retroactively go, oh, well, I asked what their name was earlier. Yeah. And like they said Jimmy. It needs to be question answer. Yep, yep, I agree. So the, the proper investigative technique there is you ask a question and you give like 30 seconds for a response. And then after that 30 seconds, if they provide an answer to that question, it can't be counted. And then the final criteria that I have for you is a direct response. And that goes, what's your name? And you get Ryan in re response or Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Or if you were to say, say my name back to me, and it's Ryan asking it, and he gets Ryan in response. That is both clear, timely, and a direct response to your yeah, question. Yeah, this whole video, I feel like none of that stuff really happened. Okay. That's, so, moving forward, that's going to be our, our benchmark, our litmus test. It needs to be those three things. It needs to be clear, it needs to be timely, it needs to be a direct response to the question, okay? Alright. So, you didn't think that they were legitimate, right? You, you think they were a little muddy? Yes. I didn't really agree with their findings, I feel like. Okay. I feel like this is a big shoe on the other foot moment because normally I'm more skeptical than you because I thought those were good responses. Really? Yeah. I, I think it all comes down to my direct response criteria. Um, it didn't really participate in their questions, though. You know? Like, it... And, like, even the names were different that it gave. Okay. The only thing I think that was valued in that whole thing was the last second, basically. The don't leave? Yes. Okay, I agree. And that, that's what I zero in on here in my notes. Ryan goes, okay, we're going to leave. And pretty much immediately, they get a clear, timely, and direct response to their question. Of don't leave. Of don't leave. Um... You don't need subtitles in the video to understand it. You can hear it with your naked ear that someone said, don't leave, when Ryan was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. They didn't have to go back and post and like re listen to it a bunch of times to determine. Yeah, they both heard it. They both heard it in that moment. Now, I watched another investigation of this location. Obviously, the other one that we watched for evidence, you know I'm referring to Ghost Adventures. They too conduct EVP. Several times they get gibberish in response and try to make it seem like it was a legitimate response to their questions. By gibberish, I mean they hear random noises. Things like they're using an EVP it's or a voice box. It cycles through things and they hear a growl. Or they're using an electronic voice for not, or a recorder and they hear a growl. Well, that could be the freaking air conditioning kicking on for all we know. Um, I don't think, if you can't hear a clear set of words and the response, it's not legitimate in my opinion. Agree? Yes. If there's not a legitimate response, I would, I would uh, say that it's not good evidence. Yeah. Other times, 
The Ghost Adventure crew gets words, but they're not relevant at all to the questions they ask. So in post, you can hear like Zach Baggins narrating and he goes, Oh, uh, we asked this question earlier. Is this a response to the question we asked five hours ago? He doesn't oh, say that's how he is. Yeah, he doesn't say like, oh, five hours ago, but like they walk into the castle and they're like, oh, we asked a question and then we got a response five hours later and they think that's the response to the question. Well, let me see his evidence. We're, we're, already we're, like yeah, I, I am, I am jumping sure. around a little bit and we're, we're not quite there, but, um, but I feel like the Ghost Adventures crew has a tendency to use poor audio quality, no direct response to the question asked, and no real, uh, real time, which is the real point of timely. They understand in the moment with their naked ears with what's being said, and they're like, oh, this was an EVP. And in my opinion, it's bad. Um, I don't want to like entirely knock EVPs you don't understand or maybe you don't hear in the moment because a lot of the times you'll catch things on the electronic recorder that you don't hear with your ear. So it's, it's a tricky line, and I'm sorry for that aside, but we're going to get right back into the BuzzFeed guys. So now they're in the queen suite of the castle, and um, apparently, well, as we know, we watched, we watched the video, or I watched it, the Ghost Adventures crew in particular investigated this particular room as well, but we're going to start with the BuzzFeed boys. And again, this is over a minute, so we can't have it on the podcast, so we're going to watch it. Um, and then we'll tell you guys what happened when we watched it. So the boys are doing an EVP in the Queen suite, and Ryan opens it up by asking, uh, if you want to communicate Saturday back to us, they don't get an immediate response, or I wouldn't say a timely response. And then uh, the EV or the voice, the spirit box says, Apple Tater. And in an earlier investigation that they did, they had a uh, Apple Tater come through, and then Spaghetti. Um, and so they hear Apple Tater in that moment, and they go, wait, did you follow us um, to this location? And they go, hey, what, what pairs really well with Spaghetti? And then they get Hunger as a response. And then the Spirit Box uh, definitely picks up a radio ad about severe allergic reaction. And then Shane asks, uh, what, what pairs well with Spaghetti? Is it Meatballs? And then they get... Uh, or rather, what pairs well with meatballs, and they get spaghetti in response. So Harlan, let's discuss what we just watched. Do you think this is a legitimate response? What, what are you, do you hear the spaghetti they hear? Do you hear the apple tater? Um, I forgot to mention that they get Ryan at some point, but it's after they've asked a couple of questions. What are your thoughts about this evidence here? I don't know. I've thought I felt like I heard the word spaghetti happening multiple times coming from the spirit box even before they said spaghetti. Okay. I just didn't pick up on it. And when they finally picked up on it, like my certainty of me feeling like I heard it was less than I feel like the other dude. So Shane, the, the taller guy? Yeah. The guy sitting, okay. But like I still feel like I did hear spaghetti when they weren't picking up on it. But I do too. So I thought I heard spaghetti earlier than they both in the moment um, responded to it. But what's interesting is the second time, in my opinion, because I heard it two times. I don't know if you heard it more. Was it more than two? I heard it probably at least two. I think is mine. Is before okay. they heard it. Okay. So two. So three times total. Yeah. Okay. So I I think I heard it two times total. 
they didn't pick up on it the first time. They picked it up on the second. But whatever, whether it's the second or the third time, what's interesting is both Ryan and Shane in that moment go, we heard spaghetti. And they were asking again about, you know, they were, they were asking a direct question about, we got Apple Tater in a different investigation. They got it in this one as well. And they, Ryan makes a point of asking, did you follow us? Give us a spaghetti. And they're not really asking different questions. They're asking the same question, phrased different ways, trying to get spaghetti and they get it. So does that make it credible for you using our little system earlier about timely, um, clear, direct response? Yeah, that one was a little bit more clear. I can agree to that. So at some point in that little clip, I heard it's demons, but the BuzzFeed boys subtitles say Apple Tater. So when they get Apple Tater initially, I thought I heard it's demons. Oh, I did not hear that. Well, yeah, I this heard is, Apple TV and Tater for sure. So one of the one of the things that I encourage anyone who listens to EVPs on shows like this, try to listen to it without reading the subtitles because I feel like that's I know there's a psychological term for it, but they're suggesting something and once they suggest it and you read it, you think you hear it. Um, so I feel like I heard it's demons instead of Apple Tater and I realized when I'm clearly enunciating them right now, they sound nothing alike. I'd have to listen to it again. See if I hear it. Okay. What do you hear at the end? Again, I don't agree with them that I hear spaghetti at the end, but I feel like I did hear spaghetti before they claimed to have heard spaghetti. Okay. And just like with us earlier where you were being skeptical and I was suddenly more reluctant with the first clip, that we listened to, the one we could include in the audio. Um, it's a nice shoe on the other foot moment because normally Ryan um, isn't the skeptical one. Shane is. But in this moment, Ryan is more skeptical and Shane is the one who's convinced that he heard spaghetti. So it's just kind of an interesting shoe on the other foot moment in both their programming and ours. But after this session, the boys decide that it's time to explore other parts of the castle they settle on investigating the movie theater, which the castle, uh, remember, was a hospital slash a POW holding facility. Uh, and at that time, the theater also double served as a chapel. So when people passed away, that's where memorial services would have been held. The BuzzFeed crew then references that other investigations exploring the castle often have captured EVPs from this room with the same word, Lillian. The boys go to the stage area and they fire up the spirit box. Again, this is a longer clip, so we can't share it live on air. Uh, as a standard intro to the spirit boxes sessions, Ryan often starts by introducing himself and then Shane, and then asking if the spirits can say their name back to see if they can get an intelligent response. Pretty much immediately after doing so, he gets Ryan. Later, Ryan asks, can someone tell me what's happened on the stage? And the response he gets is dead men. So we're going we're gonna to listen to that. So having listened to that, let's reference our three-point scale. Clarity, it's clear, it's timely, they've asked the question, they get a response, and it's a direct response to that question. Do you hear dead men in response to what happens on this stage? Yes, I, I hear dead men kind of like at the very last second. It does sound like it's a woman saying it. Um, yeah, it does, which is still interesting. It's kind of fuzzy a little bit. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. But what I think is interesting about the response of dead men is that multiple paranormal groups have come into 
this space and they've captured a voice saying Lillian, presumably being a woman's voice, and it's a woman's voice who says dead men. So do you think that that's uh, this Lillian chick who's answering the question? Yeah, sure. All right. I'll give it that. I don't know, it sounded like it's a woman, Lillian, I guess. I don't know, it's a woman's name. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree uh, in large part. And like I mentioned earlier, that in the theater, the, the theater served as the viewing area for funerals. And it's likely that the body of the dead men were view, like put up on the stage when viewings occurred. So I think it's an intelligent response. So after getting dead men in the spirit box, it spits out bones and jacket. Ryan then asks, can you tell me what castle we're in? The first response is unclear, but the second the boys come up with a seemingly clear response. Um, I won't say what it is, Harlan, because I want you to listen and tell me what you hear, okay? Let me hear it. You heard children? Yeah. Okay. What did you hear? Uh, I I was reading the subtitle as it came up, so it's really hard for me to tell you what I heard, but I can tell you what the BuzzFeed crew captured. It sounded like a man. It, okay. It sounded a little higher to me than a man, if I'm being honest, maybe a child or a woman again, but according to the BuzzFeed crew, when they ask, can you tell me the name of the castle we're in, they get... Pythian in response. Let me hear it again. Alright, let's hear it again. Again, viewers live on air. Who else does this? Just us. We're, we're, we're the greatest paranormal investigators ever. So that was the dead man clip again. I'm intentionally breaking this so we don't get any uh, copyright infringement. So that was the, the dead man from earlier. You know, what happens on the stage, dead men. Yep. And, uh, all right, here we go again. You didn't hear children? You know what's funny? It was definitely a man saying children. So it's funny that that's what you cue in on because... That first response, the BuzzFeed crew calls unintelligible in the EVP category. It's definitely a man's voice. It's different than the second voice, which they think says Pythian. But you hear children in a man's voice, and they're saying unintelligible. Like, they can't make it out. But you're hearing children distinctly, yes? Yeah. You don't hear it? In the deep voice, some dude going children? Seriously. So Harlem had me go back and re-listen to the first voice. And uh, eyes closed, not looking at the screen, not anticipating it at all. I hear children as well in a man's voice. And then late, like clear as a bell. Yeah, it's definitely children. But what's interesting is the second voice, the female voice that answers, which is the same one as dead men, says Pythian. And just just to like full full disclosure, Pythian and children sound somewhat, you know. Similar. 
What do you What do you think about that? Like, are you Are you dead? Do you? It hear? used to be an orphanage. It did. And I'm like, dude, and I heard children like clear. Yeah, you you heard children. I you know having you made me go back, and I appreciate you for that because I I heard children in that moment as well. Did you hear Pythian in the female voice, which was... No, I didn't hear Pythian at all. Can okay. you point it out to me like I pointed it out to you? Yeah, I, I can point it out to you. So we, we listened to it again, and we both agree again... That it's definitely two voices. It's two voices, yeah. It's a man saying children, and a woman saying Pythian. Or possibly a young child. Or, yeah, it's a very or high-pitched voice. Yeah. Um... Does that, the fact that they ask, what's the name of the castle, and we get children in a man's voice and Pythian in a woman's voice, does that ruin any of the credibility for you at all? Uh, if anything, I feel like it gives it more credibility because it used to be A, a children's orphanage, okay. and then B, you're hearing the name of the castle from the ghosts. Yeah. Um, I, or at least from the spirit box, not, I mean... It's hard to say it's the ghost. Yeah, it's hard to say whether or not spirit boxes are a legitimate paranormal tool. I don't believe in coincidences either. So how's that word going to randomly pop up in a spirit box when you randomly happen to be in this a castle that's named that exact thing? And that's not like a common word. Dude, I'm, I'm really sympathetic to that argument. But at the same time, I feel like there's a huge danger in that line of logic for a lot of paranormal investigators where they like... They hear something that maybe doesn't directly apply to their question, and then they, because they're in this they ask space... with the name of the castle, right? Right, and Pythian is the only direct response. Children is not. And the, the danger with a lot of these EVPs is that when you get, like... Well, the frequencies are constantly changing. They are, but that's, that's not what I'm getting at. And but, we heard two voices, so all I'm saying is maybe it picked up the dude's voice and then it changed and picked up the woman's, woman's voice. Woman's voice? Okay, I'm... I get what you're saying, but I still feel like the danger with a lot of EVPs is centered around this children response that I heard it, you heard it. I'm not knocking the fact that we heard it, but because we know the history of the castle and we heard that word, now we're, we're using our information about its history to assign value to that response. It's not a direct response to the question. And if we're going to... Yeah, I guess you're right. But, man, all I'm saying is if the dude's voice carried on a little longer, what if he was about to say children's orphanage, you know? Maybe. Like those words. Maybe. You, you, bring up, you bring up a great point, but I feel like we're, we're almost falling victim to, like, straying away from our three-point scale. Yeah, I know. Damn it. Okay, you're right. Because we're using the information we know to assign value to response to a question that was not asked. What's the name of the castle? Children is not it. We're, we're literally... Uh, we at least still heard the castle's name. We did. We definitely heard Pythian. And we, we played that enough on the air that maybe our viewers can like... Our listeners can come back and be like, Yo, I didn't hear that. You guys are full of shit. Uh, either way, but... Wait, I, this is a great point for a three-point scale lesson because even us, who we like to think we're super objective, we're trying to assign value to a response that wasn't a direct one. And that's the danger with a lot of EVPs where people are like, oh, I heard this, but I know this about the castle, so it's got to make sense. No. Unless it's a direct response to the question asked, we have to rule it out. Um, so after... 
the boys have conducted this EDP session, spirit box session, whatever you want to call it, in the theater. They then head down to the basement where, during the Second World War, prisoners of war were held. They go into a particular cell where a Japanese prisoner of war was held. He evidently liked to paint and had added murals of Japan to his cell walls. So the boys break out of paint as a trigger object. They ask the spirit of the prisoner to use the objects, but get no response. Ryan then attempts to auto-paint, which is where you let the spirit move through you to move your hand around, but nothing happens. Um, they change cells to where an Italian prisoner was held, and they ask the question, how long have you been here? And they get the response, 41. That's super problematic historically. Because the United States entered the war on December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. We didn't conduct any combat operations until 1942. So I, I don't really think that that's a valid response. There wouldn't have been an Italian prisoner of war in America until at least 1942. And honestly, our earliest combat operations were in North Africa. And we could have captured Italian prisoners there, but it's not likely until 1943. Hmm. So, right. so not so? No, yeah. I'm, I'm saying it's historically problematic, so we're just going to go ahead and throw that out the window. Could it have been late 41? No, it couldn't have been late 41. Because okay. we, we... So our Pacific fleet was crippled. We couldn't have done anything in, in the, the Pacific region of the world. The Doolittle Raid, I think, is carried out, which is our earliest offensive action, April 1942. And I don't think the invasion of North Africa, which would have been the earliest point that American and Italian troops who occupied Ethiopia, which is on the eastern side, big other side of Africa, it's a massive continent, until late in 1942, maybe early 19... No, late 1942. Because we're invading Sicily and the Italian Isles by 1943. So for, for a ghost to say, hey, I've been here since 41 is not accurate. Historically. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So they ask the ghost after they get 41 as a response, how long have you been down here? And they get decades as a response. And again, that, that could make sense. Um, More so than 41. Yeah, it would make a lot more sense than 41 because if a ghost has been there since the mid-1940s, let's call it 1943 to be safe, it would have been decades, but um, it, it doesn't. It, historically it doesn't make sense. So after that, uh, one interesting thing I find about their continued investigation of the cells, even though they don't add subtitles to say what they thought they heard, they definitely heard something because Ryan looks right at the camera with a scared look on his face after hearing this response. So we're just going to listen to that real quick. All right. So after they get 41, which we debunked because it historically doesn't make sense, um, Ryan goes, we're not here to hurt you, we're here to help. And according to the BuzzFeed audio review, they get, tell me, and then Ryan goes, okay, and then they get what to do. Did you hear that? Yes or no? No, that audio was very blurry to me and hard to hear. Oh, definitely it was. It was yeah, very all over the place. It wasn't as clear as our previous audio. No, def yeah, it was very muddled. Yeah. 
But I don't know if that's a byproduct of using a loud spirit box in a confined area so there's a lot of echo. But I don't hear tell me what to do unless I'm reading I don't an audio really hear subtitle. Even him going 41. Uh, you know, when I if I'm not reading it and I stop and think about it, yeah, I don't hear it either. And it does like I said, if it's an Italian prisoner that they're claiming they get this response from, historically that doesn't hold water. There would not have been an Italian prisoner of war in America in 1941. I don't know. Maybe they're just reaching. They may have been. Uh, but a couple seconds later, at uh, 22 minutes and 20 seconds, so five seconds after this clip, we get my favorite response to this investigation. Ryan says, we're going to leave. Is there anything they want to say? And pretty much immediately, they get a pretty strong and audible, fuck you. So this is a short clip. We'll play it on the air. It's under 30 seconds. Listeners at home, you can tell us what you hear. Sorry if the uh, the spirit box is just blowing out your ears. Uh, we're trying to play it loud enough so we can hear it in the studio. But here we go. Did you hear fuck you guys? No, I heard welcome to Texas. You heard welcome to Texas? Yeah. Dang, okay. Replay it. Okay, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Can you only pause this? So we listened to the audio clip again because Harlem hears welcome to Texas. And I gotta agree with the BuzzFeed guys, I hear fuck you guys. What are your thoughts about this whole thing, Harlem? Honestly, I don't really hear the fuck you guys. I feel like I hear welcome to Texas so much more and I'm sitting here closing my eyes listening to the audio and I feel like I'm hearing welcome to Texas more than I'm hearing fuck you guys. See, I'm I'm super surprised that you hear welcome because the the k and the fuck is so audible to me. I hear fuck you guys super clear. Like I'm doing the same thing. I'm closing my eyes and looking away. I'm thinking about other things, and I hear, fuck you guys, so clear. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned from this about, like, EVPs and how subjective they can be. Like, maybe maybe people hear different things when they listen to the same thing. I don't know. It wouldn't make sense for it to be saying, welcome to Texas, when in it's Missouri. in Missouri. It, I mean, maybe it could be, because all they've heard, like... So, I, I lived in China for almost like half a year. And uh, if you ask people in China what states they've heard of, there's only three states that they can like definitively point it out. New York, Texas, and probably Virginia. No. Florida. One, no, big one, you know it. California? California, yeah. They've heard of New York, they've heard of California, and they've heard of Texas. So I feel like internationally, and if this is an Italian ghost... It's probably the only three states they've ever heard of because Texas has its own. We, I mean, we're the only other. We're the only state in the union that was its own country at one point. We're famous for cowboys. Um, California is famous for its gold rush, and it's a very popular spot. Mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, New York is also famous for Wall Street and New York City. Uh, so it, it kind of makes sense. Those are the only three places they've heard of. So it could have been Welcome to Texas. And if you don't know the United States and all you've been told about Texas is it's hot as hell, 
and you wind up in Missouri, which is equally hot in the summer, like, it makes sense. Like, it, it could be. Uh, but, yeah, like, it, they could think that they're in Texas. It could be the ghost saying, welcome to Texas, because he thinks he's in Texas. But I don't know. I feel like this is a really good, like, point of uh, conversation for EVPs, because we both think we hear something completely distinct. When I wrote the script for this episode, I didn't think you would have a, a different opinion than I would at this point in time. But we're going to move past it. The guys, after getting the CVP, we moved down in the tunnels, which were used to transport prisoners between various buildings on the compound and conduct two individual investigations. So Shane goes down alone, then Ryan goes down alone. In these tunnels, there's allegedly a spirit that communicates by tapping on the pipes. Uh, they dubbed this spirit Boots. According to the BuzzFeed guys, a local news crew had been called out to cover the castle, and a tour guide led them down in the tunnels. The tour guide asked Mr. Boots to knock twice but got no response. So the news crews cut their cameras, and according to them, right after they did, they get a ding-ding on the pipes in response. Do you think that's incredibly convenient that as soon as the cameras... Yeah, they shut yeah. it off, and then they heard it, yeah. Mm. I do too. So in addition to Mr. Boots, there's allegedly an aggressive spirit down in the tunnels that they were, uh, spirit that when they were alive, worked at the orphanage and abused the children. This description to me feels too specific um, for them to attach a name to it. Like, if you know who did this, or rather, it feels too specific not to attach a name to it. Like, if you know this guy abused the children, then you definitely know who's, who it is. So that, that feels odd to yeah, me. Michael that, Jackson. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that aside, Shane goes down into the, the tunnels first, uh, and he attempts to contact Mr. Boots. He asks the spirit to kill him, knock on the pipes, and even speak right in the microphone. To kill him? Yeah. Shane is always aggressive, dude. He goes into houses that are allegedly like haunted by demons. He went up to the Annabelle doll and was like, kill me. Possess me, fuck with me, and the demons do nothing. I'm getting goosebumps on my arms because as the good little Catholic schoolboy I am, um, I'm Sh immediately shaking in your boots. Yeah, I'm shaking in my boots because I'm immediately like I'm not giving a demon permission to possess me, but saying that out loud scares me. Like I got goosebumps. You can see yeah. them on my arms right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're ma massive. The only thing Shane gets out of all this taunting was a video recording of him farting. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd like that. Yeah. So after Shane comes up, captures nothing, Ryan goes down, and he breaks out the spirit box. He bangs on the pipes and tries to get a knockback as response. He gets nothing for a while until he asks, do you want to keep talking to me? At which point he gets Ryan as a response. He then allegedly gets Ryan again, and then okay as responses. Ryan continues, he's using the spirit box again, asking for his name, which he gets a very interesting response. He gets his name again, but to me, wearing headphones, I clearly hear Ryan. Uh, but not coming from the spirit box, it sounds like a woman from further down the tunnel. At the roughly 30-minute mark in the video, Ryan turns off the spirit box and asks who is down there with him, and you can hear a clear, whispered, hi, and response. However, what's interesting about this line of dialogue is apparently Shane was whispering down the tunnel to fuck with Ryan. Mm. 
nice. Yeah, so everything he may have caught or didn't catch is not valid. So that's the conclusion of the ghost advent, or rather the BuzzFeed investigation. Now we're going to turn over to the ghost adventure investigation. And the long and short of it is a lot of bad EVPs. Right out the gate, as soon as the ghost adventures guys come into the Pythian castles, they claim to hear whistling while they were setting up their equipment. However, this whistling is conveniently not captured on their audio equipment. Fortunately for the Ghost Adventures team, the owner's security camera allegedly picks it up. But the funny thing about this audio is the owner of the castle is in the castle with them at the same time and conveniently not on any of the cameras. So it could have very easily been... Him. It's a her, but yeah, it could have very easily been a her... But immediately the ghost adventure guys are like, yeah, we heard it, we heard it. It's definitely a ghost. It's definitely paranormal right out the gate. But I feel like that's kind of like tainted evidence because there's someone in the castle you can't account for. And as I've said multiple times, the first time you fudge evidence in the paranormal field is the last time you have credibility. Because anyone can go, oh, if there's, if there's room for someone to manufacture evidence... The evidence, like whatever evidence you claim to capture is thrown right out the window. Hmm. Smart, though. They also claim to capture a disembodied voice, which by Zach's own admission sounds like straight gibberish. And I can pull it up for you if you want. Okay. All right, let's do that. So, Harlan, we just listened to a quick five-second clip of... Uh, Zach claiming like when they're setting up to capture an EVP. Do you hear any words that make any sense to you out of that? Honestly, in that one, I did not really... I wasn't really able to make out any words. Like it was very mumbled and unclear. All right, let's, let's reflect on our EVP scale. Clear, timely, direct response. To me, it sounds simply like a voice of the crew overlapped over one another, echoing around the very large room, because they're, they're in the foyer of this massive castle. Um, to me, it's not an EVP at all, but the Ghost Adventure guy is just working too hard to make something out of nothing. Yep, I can agree with that. Zach then goes on to interview a woman who stayed one night in the castle. She retells her experience from the night she stayed there, including hearing a strange whistling her dogs acting strangely and having a bad dream that she claims, um, and I don't want to sound insensitive here, was a premonition for her brother's death. Uh, pretty quickly after hearing this, Zach jumps to believe that there is an advanced supernatural entity hiding in the castle. It seems to me like he's just gearing himself up to declare this place chock full of demons and yet another portal to hell, which is a pretty uh, like standard Zach Baggins response to stuff. <laughs> Literally in the next scene, he claims to see a dark figure with orange eyes in the prisoner of war cells. Of course, this figure is not captured on camera. We just have to take his word for it. Zach and another investigator, Aaron, then launched into a spirit box session to find out what he saw. So underneath this bright street light outside of the cells where Zach claims to see these glowing eyes, uh... They claim on a spirit box to get a response, a demon, which is only clear to the paranormal 
investigators that are present on the site, not anyone really watching and listening to the audio. Harlem, do you, do you hear a demon? I really don't, man. We can mumble, it's unclear. Yeah. And again, if we're going to go off our three-point scale, this fails every category. They're like, who's here? And it's gibberish, so it's not clear. Uh, if we're going timely and a direct response, it's not a name. They claim to hear a demon. Uh, of course, like every investigation these guys go on, it's a demon, and then they later claim to hear it's evil. On a second review, they claim to hear, don't tease it, and cut the last two seconds of the audio to make it fit. Like, I feel like this was clever editing on their part. Um, this tactic I don't think of earlier in my bad EVP scale, but yeah, if you're, if you're intentionally manipulating evidence, it's a problem. Later in the episode, the team is reviewing death records, and Zach claims to feel a cool air pass through him, so they break out the voice recorder and they ask the EVP a couple of questions. They claim that one of the responses to the question they get is a growl and a scream, but I, I really don't hear it. To me, it just sounds like they're really trying to make something out of nothing again. Uh, I, think, I think it's a crap EVP. And I think that they're kind of notorious for crap EVPs. In the next scene, Aaron, one of the cameramen, claims to see a soldier in Vietnam camouflage, which is both not captured on the camera or in any form of the multiple recording, and, uh, both audio and visual devices they have on scene. It also does not make sense as Vietnam camouflage is the wrong war for someone to be there. Why would someone in Vietnam camouflage be somewhere where they house prisoners from the Second World War? Hey, do you know I have a ghost that lives in my house? Oh, yeah? Yeah, you just gotta take my word for it. Yeah, I feel like this is exactly what they're they're doing. The team then, quote-unquote, locks down, and Zach Baggins' version of locks down is he's gonna stick one of his guys alone the entire night in one of the cells that used to house prisoners of war. During that time... This guy claims to see a number of things, such as aliens looking at him in the dark. I just gotta take his word for it. Yeah, you just gotta take his word for it, because the bulk of the night, he's asleep. He literally falls nice. asleep and then like wakes up and he's like, I saw aliens, man, you gotta believe me. They were looming at me in the dark. Yeah, I saw aliens too. In my fucking dreams, you stupid bitch. <laughs> the rest of the crew, while this guy is locked down, then heads up to the queen's bedroom that the woman stayed in where she said she had this like premonition of her brother's death. There is that claims to be possessed and then cast the demon out of himself. They then do a spirit box section or session to figure out what it was. Uh, I don't hear anything that Zach claims. They're then moving around the house uh, to a different bedroom and while conducting another EVP session, the Ghost Adventure crew claims that their SLS camera captures what they quote, what they call, to quote them, irrefutable proof that there is something there. I have a screen grab of that moment. Harlem, if you want to take a look at it. But I'd also like to note that the SLS camera is flawed in many as, uh, aspects. This is the, uh, we're looking at it now. We can see Zach and one of the other investigators on the right. And then on the well, left. Well, they're very close to each other. They are very close to each other. And on the left, they have a headless figure that they're claiming is irrefutable proof that they captured something. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, the SLS camera is problematic in the sense that it has a tendency to chart air movements and then superimpose upon them human forms. So we've got two guys moving around on a bed, which is what's recording right now, and they could have easily made an air current to make this headless, weird figure of a very small man standing on the bed that's no taller than the Did you say they made an air current to make that happen? What I'm saying is that the SLS camera has a tendency to superimpose air currents and make them look like figures. Oh, okay, because that didn't even look like a figure. That looks like a weirdly shaped penis head. There's, there's, no, there's no head on it at all. So is it a headless man that's standing behind them? Uh, I, I don't even see legs. I don't, I, maybe you can maybe say those are arms. It doesn't look like human form. All right, the, the final thing that they claim to capture, because I feel like even if it is a legitimate, like, assuming the SLS is not messing up, um, I feel like we're both agreeing that's not a person. That's yep. not a human figure. Agreed. Okay, the final bit of evidence that they capture um, occurs at about a 29 minute and 50 second mark. It's only nine seconds long. So I can play it on the air. Uh, in Harlem, I just want you to listen to it and tell me if you think, rather, if you agree with what they think they get, okay? All right. Call me. Do you hear we're coming? Can you play it again? I can absolutely play it again. I think it's just funny as a response to the question they ask. They said, is there anybody in danger? And they claim to get the response, we're coming, which also doesn't make sense. Uh, now says in a very disturbing tone, we're coming. Is there anybody in danger? What do you hear? I kind of heard it that time. Deep, raspy voice. Yeah, I, I hear we're coming, but if again, if we're responding, if we're going off the three-point scale, it fails point three. Yeah, it sounded kind of like Optimus Prime. It did, but the third the third point of that scale is the direct response. Is there anybody in danger? We're coming is not a response to yeah. that and question. Yes. For the rest of the episode, these guys go on to conduct, and I'm making air quotes, an investigation, and they capture nothing of note. That being said, Harlem, what was your general impression of the BuzzFeed investigation versus the Ghost Adventures investigation? Would you go on a limb here and say that one was better than the other? Were they both not really something you buy? Let's hear your thoughts. Eh, BuzzFeed was a little bit better. I'm always entertained by Zach Baggins and some of the stuff he goes and researches, though, too. You Would know, you say so. entertain is the operative word, though? Yeah, like, you don't for think sure. It's... I don't know. I would lend him much credibility. I think he's a good entertainer and a little bit of an exaggerator. Yeah, I wanted to make this more about um, the... Um, castle that we were talking about sure you know i i and agree if with I you. think it's haunted or not and um based on like based off the evidence i don't think baggins is credible to suggest it is haunted okay um i agree i appreciate what zach baggins has done in one respect where he's like he's made paranormal investigation the mainstream and i'm not going to knock him for it there's a lot of paranormal investigators that are out there right now who do really good work 
that wouldn't have done it if Zach Baggins had not made his TV show. So kudos to him. However, I think a lot of his work is questionable. Um, and I agree that I think the BuzzFeed investigation was better. And this is where I'm going to let you go. Harlem. We, we've seen the BuzzFeed investigation. We've seen the Ghost Adventures investigation. We've, we've gone through the history. Is it paranormal? Is Pithian Castle haunted? Or do you need to be drunk to believe in it? Based off Baggins information, it's not very credible. Based off of the other guy's investigation, it's a little choppy. And I don't feel like a lot of their stuff is credible. I feel like some of their stuff, yes, was credible. But my vote is going to be with um, no on this one. Okay. I agree with you. I feel like the BuzzFeed guys did a better job on the whole. Um, they captured things that were better, but you make a great point. Things are choppy. We're not getting the responses we really want. Um, the Ghost Adventure guys, just nothing. Nothing, nothing usable. Uh, BuzzFeed was a little bit better. So yeah, if we're, if we're going strictly off of whether or not Pythian Castle is paranormal based off of the evidence I've provided, then no. So we got a double drunk to believe in. Yeah, double drunk. You got to be drunk to believe that Pythian Castle is paranormal. Guys, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your continued support. Um, if you want to like support our podcast, help us improve the sound quality, help us in, improve just the podcast, consider donating to us on Drunkenly Paranormal or at patreon.com or patreon.com slash drunkenly paranormal. Um, thank you so, so much. And until the next time, don't drink and drive in Harlem. Stay fucked up.